moment, I'm going to set up a video. Before I do that, hey, if you, if you called me last Sunday or texted me anytime between, let's say, Saturday night to like uh, Tuesday, uh, and I didn't get back to you, you might say, well, it sounds like you. You, you know, you're, you're slow in getting back to people. But I want to let you know, my phone was actually stolen uh, off the front pew after the 9 a.m. service. And um, true story, it's in Pacoima right now. Before you say, those 9 a.m.ers, of course. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, if you called me or texted me last week, just reach out to me again. Uh, my dad set me up on his old uh, iPhone 4, and so it works, and so I've got that. But I missed like 48 hours. I was like in the dark, and I'm, I know, and people were like giving me their contact info at the Deacon neighborhood. So if you're here, uh, I, I want to connect with you. So uh, come up to me afterwards as well. But uh, also, if you took my phone... <laughs> I forgive you, actually. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing about the church is that we're called to forgive because Christ calls us to forgive others as Christ forgives us. And I also want you to know that you'll never find your joy and your significance in that phone either. Um, but know that you're forgiven. And um, as we continue on in worship, if you're new here, I'm Drew. I'm the senior pastor. I've been here a little over a year now. It's an honor to join you. And there's so many things that we do far beyond a Sunday, even beyond what Mike shared uh, in those announcements. But one of the things I want to key in on briefly is that Global Leadership Summit. Often people think of leaders and they think of, oh yeah, that's for my boss. That's for somebody else. That's for the head of the organization. That's for the head of whatever. But the truth is, is that you have, if you have influence over just one person in your life, whether it's your kids or your parents or your roommates or your coworkers, neighbors, family, anything, then you are a leader. And this Global Leadership Summit is perfect for you. And actually, it's even for beyond the, just Christians. In fact, what a great opportunity for us to invite non-Christians onto our campus. I want to key in a little bit on an interview that I had with Dr. Henry Cloud. Maybe some of you know him. Uh, he is one of the reasons I'm in full-time ministry. He's a member of this church. Tremendous ministry, speaker, author. And why don't we take a look at this video, and I'll come back to it in a moment. Well, Dr. Henry Cloud here. Many of you know uh, Henry and his wife are members with their kids here at Bel Air, but boy, I've been impacted tremendously, uh, not only by your writing, your speaking. I know leadership is a big thing, not only for you, but for us at Bel Air and the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. It's a global event. It's been happening for a couple decades. Now, you spoke back in 96, I think. Was that the first time? I've spoken probably five or six times, um, but I always go because the, the, the summit is its own experience. So if you've never been, I would encourage you to go, whether you're a business leader, you're in the arts or entertainment or in public service or ministry, that's what I love about the summit. It draws these incredible speakers from all of those fields, both secular and the church world, and it's just amazing. So normally these things would cost a lot of money to have these speakers come and to speak for your company or an organization, but Willow Creek, this church, and their Global Leadership Summit brings them all there on site in Chicago, yep. and they stream it digitally yep. around the world. So we at Bel Air are one of the, the premier sites on the West Coast here. They're all over the world. And so people can come, right, two days, yeah. August 6th and 7th, it's a Thursday, Friday, and join uh, that live streaming. The, the cool thing about this summit is, I love it because I can take anybody there, and I know you're you're hearing this in church. But I would I would encourage you. I've got one client company that charters an airliner. They get their own airliner, 
and they take 120 of their leaders to hear it live in Chicago. So I know that before July 7th, uh, there's going to be a discount that our congregation gets. So it's a very low price. Uh, you can register through some of the links that you'll see at the end of this uh, clip. And what a great opportunity for us to grow as not only people, but also as leaders. It's going to be a great, great opportunity. Come, come, come. It'll be fun, I promise you. So... You know, as a staff, we exist to equip you, to empower you, to invest in you. We do that through so many ways, through all the Bible studies, through the small groups, through the service opportunities, locally and globally, and all the things that we do, we really exist to equip you and empower you to be the type of people that God designed and desires you to be. And so this is just one of many ways, but I didn't want you to miss the fact that all of us are people of influence. And so don't self-select yourself out of that category of leader and miss this opportunity. All right. We're in a brand new series. We started two weeks ago. If you can pull out those Bibles, they're in the pew in front of you. If you're joining us online, we are in Psalm 121. We're in a series called Sampling the Psalms. And if you have those Bibles in the room with us, uh, it's on page 498. It's the red book there. And I want to remind you that we have people that join our streaming service every week, and our average size of that streaming service is twice the size of the average congregation in America. So not only do we have the people here, but many people join us online for whatever reason. And as we get to this, I want to remind us that in this series, as we get to Psalm 121 today, we're talking about sampling the Psalms. This idea that like a DJ that samples music, that draws from music, that from their vast knowledge of all the music that's out there, draws from it to use it and to apply it for a particular moment, what we're doing is we're sampling from Scripture, we're sampling from the Psalms, we're drawing from the Psalms so that we can apply it in every moment of every day of our life. And we find one of the amazing things in Scripture is that Jesus samples from, He draws from the Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. And so, we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Him as disciples of Him. It's important for us to immerse our life in God's Word, to understand this massive playlist that God has put together, not only the Psalms, all 150 of them, but all of Scripture. And so, this week, we're going to talk about road trip Psalms. And before we read through this and before you laugh a little bit more, road trip, what are you talking about? You think about it. When we go on road trips, whether it's in our cars, in public transportation, we do it in trains or planes, perhaps. Sometimes if we have music, it, it really helps us in our journey. I remember growing up, all the road trips that we went on. My parents would take me. We'd drive all over California. I remember go up to Mammoth. We'd go up to Big Bear. We'd go down to the beach. We'd go all over the place. And I always remember these songs. And they would be so perfect as a soundtrack to our experience. I remember being in the back of a station wagon. Remember that car? My parents were up here in the front row. Back of the station wagon, and I would face backwards. You know those old cars, you know, not, not everybody's facing forward, and so I'm in the back. And I remember just hearing over and over and over and again, you know, the oldies. You know, it was like, I, I can still put on like K-Earth 101, and like every little melody, every little key change, every little thing, it's like hardwired into my life because that was the music of road trips growing up. Maybe some of you have seen uh, the film As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear. There's that amazing moment where, you know, Jack Nicholson, he's going after Helen Hunt. He's just so excited. So he plans this whole thing out. They're going to do this massive road trip. Greg Kinnear's coming along, and 
He's got everything planned out. He's got these tapes. And you remember that moment? He's got like names for every mood and every moment. He's got it all planned. He's so excited. So he puts in the first tape. He thinks it's going to be this upbeat, joyful moment. It's going to be so great. It's going to be so grand. And he puts it in. And music starts playing. And it's absolutely the opposite of the mood in the car at that moment. Because Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson were fighting. And she's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. And she changes the song. In the same way that sometimes songs help us on our long journeys, there's also times where we hear songs and we're like, no, 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 that just that doesn't fit. The same is true when we go on journeys, not only physically but spiritually and emotionally and relationally. There's truth that comes to us. There's wisdom that comes to us. There's perspective that comes to us. That sometimes we're like, yes, that fits. That's it. That's exactly, that's what I need. That, that orients me. That gives context to what I'm experiencing. But sometimes it just doesn't fit. And with that in mind, we're going to take a look at this psalm. And before we go into this psalm, I need you to know that this psalm was written, Psalm 121, was meant to be sung while on a journey. It truly was meant for pilgrims who were part of God's people, the nation of Israel, when they would go on their journey multiple times a year on the high holy days, certain holidays, they would travel all the way to Jerusalem. And it was a dangerous, dangerous journey. And so as they go on this dangerous journey, they were singing this. Hear these words. This is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time on and forevermore. This, my friends, is God's Word. So a moment ago, I said that this was a dangerous journey. Now, so few of us actually experience dangerous journeys. We go on journeys today, and often the choices that we make are to maximize our level of comfort and safety on the journey. Most of us, I mean, there's a few of you that I've met, you don't intentionally go out seeking danger. You've got airbags. You've got seatbelts. You go on the roads that are, that are familiar. You travel on airlines that get good safety ratings. You know, when we travel, we are, we are surrounded by safety. So it's maybe odd for us to think about a dangerous journey. Well, I want to let you know, I want to pause for a moment to let you know about a dangerous journey that one of our pastor's spouses is on right now. In fact, Keenan Barber, many of you know, well, his wife... Jen is actually in the middle of an Ironman triathlon right now in this moment. She's never done that before. He says she'll never do it again. Um, you know, an Ironman, you swim over two miles, you cycle over 100, 100, it's like 112 miles, and you run a marathon, you know, what normal people do on a Sunday, right? She's doing it in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She's been training for about a year. It's supposed to be 106 degrees today in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The hottest on record it's ever been was in the 1920s. It was 95. Great, 106. So you think about that journey. Not only that distance, but that heat. 
And people are, are worried. Keenan's worried. He's been texting me all morning, giving me updates. She's like on mile 50. 50! What time is it? It's almost noon. Is there time change there? It's hot right now. She's in the middle of a dangerous journey. There's going to be moments in the midst of her race, in the midst of her journey, where she's going to wonder, how am I going to do this? She's probably, she's probably gone through that ten times already, right? Where the bonk bars just aren't cutting it, that the aid stations aren't coming quick enough, that all of her training, I'm, she might be, I'm, I imagine, how am I going to finish this? How am I going to get to this next leg? How am I going to get to this next step around that next turn? And maybe some of you are here today and you know exactly what that's like. Maybe you don't do Ironmans or marathons. Maybe it's not a physical journey, but maybe in a journey of life where you look around and you say, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. I do not know how I'm going to make it through the day, through another month of unemployment, through another round of chemo, through another fight with a spouse, through another loss in my family. Let's hope today. The psalmist clearly says, the, clear, the psalmist clearly gives us a message of hope and of truth and of love and of wisdom that nothing else in all of creation can give. So let's just pause for a moment before I jump into this sermon and let's just, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this time and I pray that You would clearly speak Your truth that we collectively would remember only the things You want us to remember. And the things that are ancillary, the things that perhaps I, I misspeak on, like last week when I said Psalm 150 was the shortest psalm and I was wrong, God, I pray that you would cause us to forget those things, that your truth would shine, that I would step out of the way, and that you would transform us to be your people on our journeys together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Psalm 121, open that up if you closed it. Take a look what the psalmist says. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And as a kid, when I heard this verse, when I heard the song sung, I always thought, yeah, I love looking up at the hills. I love looking up at the mountains. I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. And it's so true that creation points to the Creator. I mean, I'm one of those people that a sunrise, a sunset speaks so much to me spiritually. I'm reminded of a Creator God who invites us into a relationship with Him. There's many verses in Scripture that actually talk about creation declaring God's glory. The psalmists say that, God, Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. In many ways, the mountains point to, remind us of the grandiosity of God. And so I always used to think when I would read this psalm that, yeah, that's what the psalmist is saying. I look to the hills where my help comes from. But that's not what the psalmist is saying here. Look again. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? Now, I wish there was a sarcasm font in our text messaging and emails. This isn't sarcasm, but what I'm saying is, is in many ways, the written word removes a tone of voice. And so when people text me, you know, we've got bold, we've got italics, we've got underline, we've got like embossed and shadow. We don't have a sarcasm font. So sometimes when people text me and I read it, I'm like, are they being sarcastic? 
Either that's really endearing or they're ripping me to shreds and I get really insecure and I, I just, I wish there was a sarcasm font. So if any of you can invent that, if there's an emoji or emoticon or anything, bitmoji, whatever you can do to help me in this way. In many ways, we lose communication when we can't see somebody's body language or their tone of voice. And so it's very easy to miss when you see the words on this page, the emphasis that in the Hebrew language is placed on the word for, or I'm sorry, from. Look in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills from. There's this emphasis there. And then my. I look, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come? And it's essential to know that at the time that this psalm was written, that in the era in which God's people would go on these dangerous journeys to Jerusalem, that there was people that would come and rob them, that would murder them, that it was tremendously frightful for many people making that journey. In certain seasons of God's people, it was actually illegal to practice worship to Yahweh. You had to worship other gods. Think about the times they were in exile. So when they would make these pilgrimages, these journeys, they were risking life and limb. They were risking their own safety. And so as they're making their way up the hills to Jerusalem, they would see all over the hills idol worship. They would see all over the hills messages of peace, messages of hope, messages of security, messages of safety. You see, there was this misconception that as you went on a journey that you had to sacrifice to a different God in each of the areas, that you had to literally sacrifice to a certain God who oversaw a particular area so you would get safe passage. So literally, these pilgrims, when they would travel to Jerusalem, they would see all around all these different things. They would see witch doctors. They would see shamans that would promise, let me put a spell on you. Let me bless you. Pay for this thing. Drink this elixir. This is all throughout, not just in Jewish or Christian commentaries. This was true about the ancient world. And so as these pilgrims were on the journey, they would see all these different things around them. I look up to the hills. From where does my help come? And it's even harder for us today because every day we look around and we see a lot of different voices, a lot of different messages, a lot of different things out there that offer us peace, that offer us security, that offer us hope, that offer us joy. And I'm telling you, if you come in here and if you think that anything other than God is going to give you your ultimate joy and your ultimate satisfaction and security, you're in for a rude awakening. Maybe some of you are here because somebody let you down. Maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a spouse, maybe a coworker. Maybe another church let you down and you're here. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you down. The leadership of this church is going to let you down. You see, there's nothing other than God who is faithful to the level that you need to provide you help in every moment of every day of your life. The government's going to let you down. Fox News will let you down. CNN will let you down. Every political party will let you down. All the great teachers of the world will let you down. Every way of life other than the way that Jesus reveals to us is going to let you down. Every product, every diet, all these different things that we clamor for, all the things that ask for our attention. We could go back in time to the time that there was just things up on the hill. We would say, that's so much easier than today because it's so subtle. Even within the church, there's all these competing messages that we have to somehow show up. 
and do for God so that He'll love us. That's not at all where our help comes from. We can mistakenly think that it's our good deeds that earn us God's love. That's not at all where God's help is provided to us. You see, the psalmist quickly says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, Yahweh, this personal God who made heaven and earth. Look at verse 3 there. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now, in the Hebrew, that literally means that God will not fall asleep on the job. It's a military image that while he's at work, he won't fall asleep on the job. I'm sure you've had moments where you need help and everything's closed. I had one of those moments many years ago. I was a high school pastor at a church at Calvary Community Church from where I came. And we were on a houseboat trip out in, it was Lake Mead, out in Nevada. It's an amazing experience. At the end of the trip, we are driving back, hundreds of high school kids, 150 high school kids. We've got all the leaders, and we're making our long journey back. We're exhausted. We're going through the desert. It's a Sunday afternoon, and my friend calls me, one of the other leaders. He's in the big rental truck, this massive truck filled with all of our supplies. I'm driving one of the vans with all the high school kids. He calls me. He says, Drew, I'm falling asleep. I've got to pull over. Can you, can you take the wheel here and get somebody else to drive your van? I says, yeah, yeah, pull over. It's fine. So we pull over. I get in the car. As soon as we get going, he's out immediately, just like that. And we're off in the desert, and there's this massive traffic jam on the 15, so I have the good idea. Pear Blossom Highway, all the road trips that we I know about that. I'm going to do a little shortcut up to Thousand Oaks. Pull on the Pear Blossom Highway. Oh, gas is getting low. I know there's a gas station coming up. I've been on this journey before, so I pull off, get out, doo, 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 doo. undo the green, put it in, filling it up, filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up. Yeah, man, it's so beautiful out here. Pear Blossom, what a great week. I'm thanking God for all that's going on. I'm exhausted. I'm dirty. I look nasty, right? Finally, finally, finally it fills up. Get back in the car, turn the engine, boom, 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 and we start going. He's still, still asleep. About 15 minutes later, all of a sudden, whoa, what was that? I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Think I ran over something? Nothing? Nothing's there? Oh, that's odd. I'm still going. I'm looking around. He's still he's slipping through all of this. All of a sudden, the car comes screaming. I mean, just the sound, it was like the sound of death. It was like a war plane flew up through the engine and it just came to a screeching stop. And I pulled over on the side of Pear Blossom Highway. And finally, he wakes up. And I'm like, what? I'm thinking I got a flat tire. I have no idea what's going on. I'm getting out of the car. And he says, man, what's up with this? He says, did you... Do we run out of gas? I said, no, I, I quit gas. And he says, man, diesel trucks are built like, a, like an ox. <laughs> diesel? <laughs> Pull out my receipt. 87. <laughs> Green. Gas cap. Diesel. <laughs> Put like 30 gallons of unleaded in the diesel. Absolutely wrecked the engine. Hey, JD, remember that thing you said about the diesel? Um, I, put, I put unleaded. You what? Right? So we get in this whole thing. I did not say, I looked to the hills from where my help comes. <laughs> I was mad at myself, right? I used some language at, at myself. I was just so frustrated. I'm looking around. It's a Sunday. I'm looking around. My battery's dead on my phone. I can't pull up Yelp. I can't pull out anything. I'm looking around. There's nothing. This is Pear Blossom Highway. If any of you know Pear Blossom Highway, one of those dangerous highways, more fatalities on that stretch of road than anywhere else in, in California. Single lane each way, and the cars are flying by. We're, we're barely off. On the, it's this massive truck. There's not enough room on the shoulder. I'm looking around. There's nothing, 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 nothing. Who is that? 
and this guy is walking towards us. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles. Growing up in Los Angeles, you meet a lot of different type of people. I'm, I'm so comfortable around different types of people. I, I'm very secure. Most people don't phase me. But when I saw a cross between ZZ Top and Charles Manson coming towards me, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't so much that. It wasn't so much the long beard and the long hair and the tattoos up the neck and the leather jacket and the, you know, it, it wasn't so much that. It was the look on his face of just like this coming towards me. I'm like, I'm going to die. This is it, Pear Blossom Highway. If I would have just put diesel in and JD's looking at me like you, I cannot believe this. And he, and he walks up to me and I have no idea what he's going to say. He says, you're early for church. What? And he's just like glaring at me. And I, church, what are you talking? He said, come with me. And I'm like, I'm going to die. What is this, church? So we start walking and I'm like trying to look at him like at the scowl. No more scowl. And I, and I forgot to say this in the 9, in the 901, but I think I realized it was because the sun was right behind me and he was trying to, you know, see me in the light. But now that we had the sun on our backs, he's a nice looking guy, nice guy. And so we're walking, but I'm still like, where is he taking me? Sunday afternoon, JD's having a, he's got his camera, taking all these photos, just loving it. And so we go back and he says, you're, you're early for church. I'm like, what kind of church is this, right? And so we go inside and he says, oh, we're just, we're just warmed up for church, you know, and they go up in their band. It's literally like ZZ Top, Charles Manson. They've got this band out there in the middle of nowhere off of Pear Blossom Highway. And there's Harleys and Indian motorcycles and Triumphs. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what kind of church is this? And the music was like melt your face metal, right? And I heard Jesus and God and Holy Spirit and, and the blood of Jesus. And it was just like, I mean, I could melt my face off, right? Over the next four and a half hours, <laughs> I'm telling you the amount of love and the amount of joy and what I experienced there of these men and women who had grown up in this hard life, many of them part of biker gangs, the stories and the testimonies that came out of that time together, they met Christ, their lives were absolutely transformed, they left that way of life, and they were passionately worshiping Jesus in the midst of all this, and yet the whole time I'm like, what about getting home? I'm going to lose my job. There's like 150 kids, there's parents, there's all these people expecting me to be leading them back. Everything's closed. And all of a sudden, one of the guys after the service comes up to me and says, hey, by the way, we called our friend. He's not a believer, but he's a mechanic. Yeah, he's closed, but he's coming to help your truck. It'll take about five hours. He's got to siphon out all the unleaded. He's got to, you know, do all. He's got to jack it up a little bit to get as much drained out. He's going to add the diesel and hopefully it'll work. I don't know if it's going to work, but we, we got him set up and he agreed to come on his day off. And I wish I would have known in that moment what I know now. That I worship a God that doesn't slumber, who never falls asleep on the job. Though every mechanic in like 100 miles was closed for the day, had closed up shop, the answers weren't there. There was a God who was working in such a mysterious and miraculous way that I didn't even acknowledge even in the moment until I looked back on it years later. I got home. God did an amazing thing through this community. And as you journey through life, as you look at all the different things around you, there might be seasons where you look around and you say, I don't know, God, where you are. It seems like there's no hope, there's no help, there's nothing around me that even points to you. God is there. God does not slumber. The psalmist repeats that, says again, God does not slumber. 
And then he goes so far to say that God doesn't even sleep. He doesn't just fall asleep on the job. He just never sleeps. He's always aware, always present, always awake, always active, protecting you, guiding you, shepherding you, providing for you in ways that you can never even imagine. Long before you woke up today, long before you even considered that you even had a need for God, God loved you. And he went to great, infinite lengths for you. The psalmist goes on and says this, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. And then in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out. Four different times. So he uses the same Hebrew word of keeper. What does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it's, it's covenant language. You're going to follow me here. This goes all the way back to Genesis 15. Actually, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. It goes all the way back to the garden. But there's this moment in Genesis 15 where God makes a covenant with a man named Abram. Many of you know him as Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And there's this amazing moment where God promises that he will bless Abram and his family, and through that family, all the worlds, all of us will be blessed. But then he goes so far and doesn't just say, I will protect you. He doesn't just say with his lips, I will provide. He doesn't just say with his lips that I will, I will shepherd you and do all these things. He proves it. And he says to Abram, get some animals. Now, it might sound odd to us today, but it wasn't odd for Abram when God said to Abram, get some animals. It wasn't odd for Abram when God said, now take those animals, take the, the pigeons and the, and the heifer and all these things and cut them in two and put them on the side. It wasn't odd for him. It's odd for us. We're like, what? The Bible's so archaic. The Bible's so weird. What? We still, we still listen to this? You see, we do that all the time. Sure, we don't split animals in two, but we make contracts all the time. In our written culture, we have contracts that we sign. You do this all the time. Whether you rent, whether you own, whether you have cell phone service, cable service, when you make a contract, you literally sign your name, and you're saying that if you break the contract, if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, then you will be penalized for it. You have to pay a fee, you'll have to be kicked out. Whatever it is, there's always a penalty, and you sign. In the written cultures, we sign contracts. But before everybody wrote, before everybody could read, it was a spoken voice culture. It was an oral culture. So they didn't have handwritten contracts. They literally would act out physically the promise that they were making. And so this was very common in ancient times where two people or groups of people would make a promise with one another. They would covenant with one another. And they literally, this is true, this is even proved outside of Scripture. Other scholars have proven this. Other historians talk about this, that people would take these animals. They would cut them in two. I know it sounds gruesome, but we do this all the time in our written contracts. They would cut them in two, and they would literally, one party would, after making the promise, walk down the middle and then walk back to signify, to symbolize that if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, if I break my promises, may I be torn in two, just like these animals. Then the other person would make their promise, and they would walk down the middle and walk back and say, if I don't live up to my promises, may I be torn in two like these animals. 
So when God says, I'm going to prove it, I'm going to promise to you, go get some animals, everyone's like, oh, oh, I know what's happening. He gets them, sets it aside, he knows, okay, God's going to walk through, then I'm going to walk through. But that doesn't happen. Genesis 15 says that a fiery torch, which signified God's presence, walked through the pieces and back. God is saying that if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, if I don't protect you, if I don't rescue you, if I'm not the source of your peace and your satisfaction and your security, then may I be torn in two. But God never made Abraham, Abram, walk through those pieces. And at first, Abram's probably like, well, but I'm supposed to go through. If I don't live up to my end of the bargain, may I be torn in two? But God says, no, 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 no. God says, I already showed you. If I don't live up to my end of the bargain, God says, may I be torn into you, but you, Abraham, if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, I will never tear you in two. If you, Abram, all your descendants, the nations, all of the earth, if you never live up to the glory and the righteousness that I call you to, if you don't live a perfect life, I'm not going to tear you in two. I'll be torn in two. And you might say, when was God... Did he ever do that? Surely God wouldn't allow himself to be torn in two. Oh, but he did. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus, knowing full well what he was doing on our behalf, making the same journey to the cross on that same trail that the pilgrims made to Jerusalem, on the same trail that they sang Psalm 121, on the same trail that they sang, I look to the hills, from where does my help come? On the same trail Jesus had his face set on Jerusalem. He went to the cross to be torn in two for you. You see, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, were literally ripped apart on the cross. So you don't have to. You see, the type of journey that Jesus went on is a journey that you never have to go on. So when you lift up empty hands of faith, when you don't hold on to all the things that are out there, all the different viewpoints, all the different teachers, all the different products, all the different ways of thinking other than God, if you don't hold on to all those things, if you don't even hold on to your good deeds, your good works, or the things that you promised that God you'll be able to do someday, if you just hold with empty hands of faith onto Christ. And the fact that he sees that none of us look to him, yet he comes to us. He redeems us, he restores us, he reconciles us, and he sets us free to be his ambassadors. So, Beller, what this, what this church needs, what this city needs, what this nation needs, what this world needs, what you need, what I need, is to see that only in Jesus Christ can we find one who will never let us down. He doesn't just say it, he proves it. As you look around at all the options that are out there, will you hold on to Jesus, knowing that he reaches out to you, desiring to carry you? Let's pray. God, so many things in our life clamor for our attention. And may we be reminded amidst all the news, amidst all the headlines, that the greatest news of all is that you set us free to live for you. 
God, would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you change our perspective? Would you set us on a new direction chasing after you? Jesus, we thank you for not only going to the cross, but we thank you for defeating death, knowing that even death didn't destroy you, that even death didn't keep you torn apart forever. But you burst forth from the tomb. We celebrate that every Sunday. That's why we have so much reason to celebrate. And so, God, may we have that perspective today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.